This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. Let's join Craig Earlham in London. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Johnny. To say the least, it's been a very dramatic day for stock markets, particularly in Europe. We've seen major indexes across the continent drop quite significantly. The FTSE down nearly 4%. Uh, France's CAC down about three and a half. The DAX as well, more than 3%. It really has been near turmoil. This after shares in troubled Swiss banking giant Credit Suisse plunged to a record low as investors remain on edge after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Credit Suisse's shares sank by nearly a third. The big question is, where is this going to end Is the contagion going to get worse? Are we going to see another global financial crisis because of this situation? I mean, that's a lot of questions, but it's questions that's been on everyone's mind all day, to be quite honest with you. I've seen all sorts of comparisons floating around. I mean, we've got to remember that we've been in situations before where banks have been at the centre of it. And at those times, it's impossible to know what the repercussions are going to be until they actually start to happen because we don't all have intricate knowledge of the interlinking nature of the actual vulnerabilities that exist within these institutions because they are enormous institutions and obviously it's not just kind of cross bank it's cross border as well Uh, and that's what makes this situation so incredibly complicated even just trying to get a grasp of what's happening at Credit Suisse right now is extremely difficult. This is a bank that had difficulties and been making big losses for a long time now. In fact, last year it made a loss more than 7 billion Swiss francs, which was greater than the combined profits of the decade that preceded it. So we've clearly got a situation in which this is a bank that's already weak, that's going through its second major transformation of recent times. And then on top of that, we've got reports coming out of material weakness being disclosed in its accounting controls. Now, again, we're not entirely sure what this all necessarily means, but what it does highlight is the fact that there is weakness in a bank that was already seen as being very vulnerable and all of a sudden because of the events of the weekend questions are being asked how vulnerable is it how exposed is it to similar issues that occurred as a result of interest rates rising so spectacularly over the course of the last year what does it ultimately mean how bad is the situation you look at credit default swaps for example and at one point today they were trading at eight times uh, I think it was Deutsche Bank's and 16 times what UBS was trading at. So that just highlights how much fear there's been around Credit Suisse today. But then it's also about what contagion effects are. This is a massive, massive institution. And therefore, where are the exposures? Who else is exposed to Credit Suisse? What are the other vulnerabilities within the banking system? What are the vulnerabilities not linked to Credit Suisse's problems also exist within the banking system? And what other hidden vulnerabilities exist similar to what we saw in the US? The fact that this has all happened within the same seven-day period may be a coincidence, but it's certainly very unfortunate as far as markets are concerned. And now we've seen this spiral today where we've seen equity markets, particularly in Europe, dropping 3 4 5% banks getting pummeled but also it created economic concerns because if we do see a banking crisis unfold here and there's no saying that it is going to be at this point but if we do see this unfold here 
then it comes at a time of vulnerability for the from the economy perspective. And now we're seeing again today yields across Europe and the US being slashed, which means that what we're effectively seeing is markets pricing in fewer if any more rate hikes as part of this tightening cycle and rate cuts later on this year up to three or four rate hikes later on this year if you take the us as uh, as an example so those economic fears are filtering through into commodity markets brent crude wti crude off seven percent today we're seeing it spread across gas and other uh, commodities as well so this is linked to the economic fears this is all interlinked and we're seeing that fear ripple through the markets and you know what johnny what's really not helping is that where we're looking for some relief we're getting it from the CEO. We're getting it from the chairman. And these are the areas where you'd expect them to talk about their capital buffers, about the financially sound, all of this. But you kind of need external sources as well to kind of back that up. The really interesting one today, the one that really sent into a bit of a frenzy, I think, was the chairman of the Saudi National Bank, which owns almost 10% in Credit Suisse, I believe in an interview with Bloomberg, suggested that there is no chance of them investing more in the bank. But what was interesting about his comments was, it was this suggestion that one of the primary reasons is because of regulatory hurdles, both in Europe and in Switzerland and also in Saudi Arabia. This idea that there's many reasons not to uh, being investing in Credit Suisse right now by its biggest shareholder. You think they would be the people who'd want to talk it up, who'd want to talk about the financial strength and might and the fact that it's sustainable and the fact that it's undergoing a transition, great leadership. And instead, they're saying there's many reasons why we wouldn't want to invest in there right now. And this is just one of them, the regulatory hurdles. That caused a big jolt in the markets because that suggests that there's problems there. And maybe that's been exacerbated and maybe they've been taken out of context. But that was a really concerning thing. But then also, as the day goes on, there's been reports circulating right, left and centre. And you can imagine this is a day when there's been report after report after report. And one of them was that Credit Suisse reached out to the SNB, another SNB, the Swiss National Bank, the central bank. Uh, and also the regulator to try and ask them to create reassurances for the market and we've heard nothing who is it that is actually talking up Credit Suisse apart from Credit Suisse themselves so that's a big concern as well and again looking at headlines as we're sitting here right now and watching these headlines pour out and you're seeing Swiss government uh, facing pressure from at least one major government to intervene on Credit Suisse we're seeing Fed working with US Treasury to review Credit Suisse exposure all sorts of headlines like this, and this is just fueling the frenzy. So it doesn't feel like it's anything that is going away. Maybe all these institutions are silent because they are trying to work this out for themselves. Over the weekend, the authorities in the US, the Fed and the Treasury, and obviously here in the UK with the UK arm, they had time to work this out because the markets were closed. Well, the markets are wide awake and uh, they're waiting for answers. And they acted quickly, didn't they, uh, over the weekend with Silicon Valley Bank by basically making sure that there wasn't the contagion at that point. Now it seems it's almost getting to the point where it's out of control. And that is the danger, isn't it? And then we really will have a GFC part two. I think maybe GFC part two is kind of overblown at this point, but that is what people are talking about. People are asking questions. Is this the kind of layman moment that we're seeing unfolding here? But, I mean, that's because these are the comparisons which we've got to draw on. A lot is different now from GFC. A lot of effort has been made in the last 15 years to make these financial institutions much more stable and sustainable, capital buffers, things like that. All of this has been designed to ensure that the biggest banks, those that create all the systemic risk uh, within the industry, that they are protected and that there's wind-down measures for those that ultimately or not those that go bust that there is procedures in place uh, a will almost as it were 
so that it has the least possible disruption on the global economy and on the rest of the financial industry. But this has never been tested. These plans have been laid out. We've seen the annual stress tests which have been completed on the banks. Credit Suisse themselves actually highlighted their capital buffer in saying we are financially stable. We haven't seen all of these uh, efforts actually play out and the fear is that this is going to be the test now again this could be early doors and it could be dealt with and it could be swept under the rug but the fact that these things have happened on the back of what's happened at the weekend has naturally made people very afraid that uh, something more is in the pipeline and suddenly the next few days feels like it's going to be massive for these markets you did say as well do you know what they dealt with it so quickly of the weekend. But you know what? What feels like a very quick resolution over that 48-hour period when the markets are closed feels like a lifetime in the middle of the week when they're open. You mentioned interest rates. Well, could they actually be a cut in rates, an emergency cut? That is one way of reassure. Well, will it reassure markets if they were to start to cut rates or would it make it worse? I think you've just answered your own question in a way, to be quite honest, because on the one hand, if you're cutting rates, you're doing it to try and support the economy. But if people are wondering whether there's something to be afraid of, nothing says you should be scared, like the central bank coming out and cutting rates when inflation is at 6% and they've been raising rates for the last year, saying that inflation is the biggest risk. If they suddenly go full U-turn on that, they could actually spread more fear and almost confirm our biggest fears as opposed to alleviate any of them. At this point in time, the markets are pricing in a 57.1% chance of no change from the Federal Reserve, and that would suggest that we're basically at the peak. In fact, at this point in time, markets are pricing in a full percentage point of interest rate cuts from the Federal Reserve by December. But the Federal Reserve is not the next central bank to meet. We're going to hear from the ECB tomorrow. The European Central Bank meets tomorrow with its normal interest rate decision. They were expected only a week ago to hike interest rates by 50 basis points. And before that, they were expected to hike interest rates by another 50 basis points at the meeting after, and 25 and 25 at the 12th, so 150 in total. Markets have paired that back dramatically. So now the peak interest rate in Europe is seen to be around 3%. That's only 50 basis points above where we are now. But it's what do they do tomorrow? So you're saying, can the Fed cut interest rates next week or what will they do? What does the ECB do that doesn't spread fear shows that it's taken inflation seriously, having come from very much uh, late to the party, and at the same time doesn't cause any further disruption. The market seems to be thinking they're going to raise rates by 25 basis points. But I can't help but think that it's a lose-lose-lose situation. If you do nothing, you're saying that there is something to worry about. If you do 50 basis points, you're potentially contributing to the problem and giving yourself something more to do later on. And if you do 25 basis points, you highlight that you are taking it seriously to the point that you are almost pausing. Tomorrow is now huge from the European Central Bank because aside from all of this, they can't really take any of this into their forecasts, which ultimately drives the biggest part of their interest rate decision. I would not want to be the European Central Bank tomorrow and that's what's going to make it such an incredibly fascinating event. And that is based on what we've seen today. A lot can happen between now and the decision tomorrow. Your gut instinct would be what? 25 basis points or zero? My gut instinct would be 25 basis points at this moment in time. To be honest, that could change in three hours, let alone um, uh, by tomorrow's meeting. My gut says 25 basis points is the kind of safer play at this stage because of that uncertainty. But I really couldn't say anything with any level of confidence because so much has happened in this last few days. If it was any other central bank, I'd say pause. I would say pause for the Fed. I'd say pause for the Bank of England. 
I'd say pause for the Reserve Bank of Australia, and so on and so forth. There's only one I wouldn't say pause for, and that's the European Central Bank, and they just happen to be the ones that are meeting tomorrow. The European Central Bank didn't start raising rates until the middle of last year. The deposit rate is 2.5%, way off where the peak was expected to be, way behind all the others. They are in a really tough position. It's a, it's, it's rock and a hard place stuff tomorrow. It seems that no matter what they do, there's going to be criticism because there's a very strong case to be had for all three outcomes. And they're going to be hoping now that the next 16 hours or so is going to see things calm down. Maybe the authorities in Switzerland come out and provide some reassurance to the markets to make their life a little bit easier. Because if we're going into this ECB meeting tomorrow and stocks are down another 4% and banks are getting pummeled again, wow, what an incredibly tough decision that will be. What is it about... uh... UK budgets though and when chancellors get up at the dispatch box because I I can remember Richie Sunak delivering his budget just a week or two before lockdown everything changed after that and then we had Kwasi Kwarteng delivering that crazy budget and now we've had Jeremy Hunt today while he was delivering that budget all this was going on with Credit Suisse and it's become the budget, a bit of a postscript, hasn't it? Some of the headlines, the Office for Budget Responsibility predicts the UK will avoid recession. Inflation rate predicted to fall to 2.9% by the end of the year. That's down from the current 10%. So is that something that we should even take any notice of after what's been going on in markets today? Well, on your first point, I mean, I think Rishi Sunak could consider himself a little unlucky that his budgets have taken place at such unfortunate times. We can all agree that Quasi Quarting was the architect of his own downfall and the turmoil that ensued. But today has been such a crazy day that it feels like the budget happened a long time ago (laughs) and it was just a few hours. And it's crazy to think that going into this week, there was four events that really stood out for me this week. The US inflation data on Tuesday, which proved against the backdrop of everything to be almost nothing. There was the US retail sales report today, which again even though the numbers were not in line, has been very overlooked because it's just seen as completely secondary to everything that's going on. Just for those who didn't know, US retail sales fell last month, but we did see revisions to the previous figures as well. So that was notable. It doesn't really change the trend. We'll probably see that more over the next few months. But again, it's just really been in the periphery. Then there was the budget today and then the ECB tomorrow. Not in any particular order, of course. And we've had two of them today, and honestly, they've both been so much, uh, so much like backstage that it, it's just, it, it's 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 incredible. It, sh- it highlights just how remarkable today has been on the budget front. Yeah, do you know what? Some of the things they've done, they've announced, it really matters. One of the problems with some of the things they've announced is they've kind of announced them for the future. So one of the biggest. Uh, improvements that we're going to see from a labour market, for, for example, I think, is going to be the change to childcare uh, support because it's such an enormous cost. And I'm saying this as someone who's got two very young children, so I can see I've, I've experienced it firsthand. The cost of childcare in this country is just enormous, and it is going to be a deterrent for so many people going back to work because there's nothing to be gained financially from doing so. And in some cases, you could even find yourself worse off from going to work because of the cost of uh, childcare. So this additional support for kids aged nine months up to three, bridging the gap from three to school age, I think that's huge in bringing people back into the workforce, young, 
working age uh, people. I think that's a big positive. But the problem is these changes are only going to take effect over the next, of course of the next two years, at which point you would hope the workforce situation will have rebalanced itself. So it is much more of a forward-looking improvement. And of course, the changes to try and draw more people aged 50 to 65 back in is more of a near-term potential improvement. So that's a clear factor that's they're looking both at the supply uh, as well as the demand side uh, of things as well. So they were the big takeaways, I think, from the actual budget itself, which contained a lot of various announcements. But, I mean, it's really just being completely lost in the noise of Tay, even here in the UK, where the impact is obviously felt firsthand. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us. We will speak to you again very soon. Thank you very much. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.